，享受工作，乐生活。就算不在办公室，也能从容应对线上会议。HP Dragonfly 透过专业的 HP Presence 设计，内建降噪及会议快速键，搭配清晰的 Ben and Offson 音效，增强音讯及视讯功能。HP Dragonfly 顶级商务笔电，采用 Windows 11专业版。让您在会议中享有最佳的视觉和听觉品质。As U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi started the first leg of her Asia trip on Monday, speculation emerged in international media that she could still make a stop in Taiwan on her way to South Korea. Taiwan's government would not make specific comments about Pelosi's itinerary, but said she would be warmly welcomed if she made the trip. Former U.S. President Donald Trump criticized Pelosi over the rumor trip, but former State Secretary Mike Pompeo, who is a staunch Taiwan supporter, urged her to visit Taipei, saying it would be detrimental to the U.S. not to do so. As President Taiwan arrived at an event in Taipei on Monday, she was immediately met with questions from the sidelines about whether U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi would visit Taiwan. The issue has people around the world watching developments closely. I would expect、uh, that it is very possible that she could still make a surprise visit, as controversial、uh, and as important. Uh, as this has become,、uh, I wasn't surprised at all that it wasn't part of the released、uh, schedule.、Um, and she's in that、uh, area of the world. She's been there many, many times in that area of the world. She feels strongly about supporting the kinds of values that we stand for、uh, and working with our friends. So again,、uh, and Taiwan has been a friend、uh, for a long time, and, and particularly in a bipartisan way. So it wouldn't surprise me if she went. Washington Post columnist Josh Rogan also speculated that a Taiwan stop may be in the plans for Pelosi and her delegation, following their visit to Malaysia, and said she could arrive in Taipei Tuesday evening or Wednesday morning. Pelosi flew from Guam to Singapore early Monday before transferring to Malaysia. Reports say that Pelosi may arrive in Taipei Tuesday and stay the night and meet with Tsai and others before leaving. Pelosi is scheduled to be in South Korea on Wednesday to meet with the Speaker of the Korean National Assembly, and in Japan on Thursday to sit with Japanese Prime Minister Kishida Fumio. Meanwhile, on social media, former U.S. President Donald Trump said the China mess is the last thing she should be involved in. She will only make it worse. That's in contrast to his former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who has publicly supported Pelosi and has offered to make the trip to Taiwan with her. Pompeo has said that if Pelosi fails to visit Taiwan, it would make the U.S. vulnerable, and that the visit only concerns the two sovereign states of the U.S. and Taiwan. When it comes to honored guests visiting our country, we will always warmly welcome them. We will make the most appropriate arrangements, and of course, will respect the guests' plans when working out the schedule. Whether Pelosi will continue with a rumored visit to Taiwan or not remains to be seen. But should she make the stop, she will receive a warm welcome, officials say. In the meantime, all eyes are on the Taiwan Strait and on the relationship between Taiwan, China, and the U.S. The U.S. and several of its allies joined Indonesia on Monday for the two-week Garuda Shield exercise. The drill has at least 4,000 participants from the militaries of the U.S., Indonesia, Japan, Australia, and Singapore. 
For the first time ever this year, troops from the Japanese Self-Defense Force are also taking part. Simultaneous to Garuda Shield, the U.S. held a biennial Pacific Dragon joint exercise off the coast of Hawaii with allies South Korea, Japan, Australia and Canada. Meanwhile, on Monday, China held its PLA Day to commemorate the founding of the People's Liberation Army in 1927. As part of the holiday, it released an 81-second video showcasing its jet fighters and tanks, which some analysts took to be a show of force aimed at the U.S. After two years away from Taiwan, a group of Japanese tour operators arrived in the country on Sunday. Their trip is aimed at developing tour packages for Taiwan that can go on sale as soon as the borders are open again. The guests were not required to undergo quarantine, but have taken PCR tests and are avoiding large crowds to prevent the, spread, the risk of spreading COVID. A group of Japanese tour operators arrived on Sunday at Taiwan Taoyuan International Airport. <laughs> it's been more than two years since tour operators have set foot on Taiwan, and their excitement shows. Officials from the Tourism Bureau were on hand to greet the arrivals in person. The 25-member group took a PCR test before passing through customs, and they weren't required to undergo quarantine. Their itinerary will have them avoid rush hour crowds, and they will have their hotel floor all to themselves. Epidemic prevention measures are still a priority, and we are following all the relevant procedures. We are implementing them all. That includes during today's arrival, when the group used a separate corridor and took their PCR tests separately from others. At the hotel, the group is also using a separate elevator, which is sanitized after every use. From their rooms, the arrivals have a great view of Taoyuan's night sky, and their meals include Taiwanese favorites like fried chicken and soup dumplings. For the dumplings, we use locally reared black-haired pigs. We also buy our cabbage from small local farms on La La Mountain. For breakfast, we prepared fried rice made with duck for the guests and presented it with Qishan's famous bananas. These bananas are also highly popular with our Japanese guests. The group will not be interacting with the general public, and even their bathroom visits will follow pre-planned routine. However, one member of the public still expressed concern. Of course I'm worried. Things still aren't that stable. How many people are dying every day? What a joke. I've already had COVID, and the symptoms weren't that bad. I'm not that worried about it. Seeing great opportunity in post-pandemic tours to Taiwan, the Japanese tour operators hope to be well prepared for when the borders reopen. Taiwan reported 16,352 local COVID cases on Monday, the lowest daily figure in 93 days. Taipei confirmed two local patients with a BA5 subvariant. Let's hear from the CCC. Their genetic sequencing results are different, so right now we think they may have been infected by imported BA5 cases, which could lead to infection chains with an unidentified source that could give rise to scattered cases. In related news, the FDA has approved Pfizer's COVID vaccines for young children aged between six months and four years. The vaccines require three shots to offer strong protection. An interval of 21 days must be left between the first two shots and an eight-week gap between the second and third shot.
Once the Pfizer vaccines roll out, parents will have a second choice of brand for their children. So far, 91,000 young kids have received a Moderna shot. New types of plant-based meat substitutes are gaining traction in Taiwan. Vegetarianism has a long history here, but vegetarianism and vegan diets are getting ever more popular. As synthetic plant-based proteins spread worldwide, global trends for new types of vegan food are landing in Taiwan. Now, even convenience stores are selling chicken that isn't chicken and pork that isn't pork. This sandwich may look totally ordinary, but this is not real meat. It's plant-based. As the popularity of green diets continue to grow, it's not just trendy cafes selling plant-based options. You can find them in convenience stores too. If you head for the vegetarian aisle in this convenience store, you find hamburgers and chicken salads. They're all made with plant-based proteins. Some use soybeans, and others, peas, wheat or rice are processed to extract the protein. The recipes for these plant-based proteins are constantly being improved, sometimes made to mimic the taste of beef, pork or chicken. It's just the same. The flavour is basically identical. I used to eat at more traditional Taiwanese-style vegetarian restaurants. They have a heavier taste of flavourings in them, and maybe they aren't so tasty. According to estimates by insurance company PGIM, the market for plant-based meat substitutes could grow to 6.1 billion US dollars by 2023. By 2040, it's projected to be worth 140 billion US dollars. When we market plant-based meats, we think about environmental protection and personal health. It's got zero cholesterol. We're talking about turnover here. If your items aren't selling well, then it can't grow. There are also plant-based meat products in the freezer aisle, so we can see a really good trend in convenience stores. The meat industry sees plant-based products as a way to woo customers who'd like to adopt a greener lifestyle. It's also a way to give consumers more options. On Sunday, U.S. reporter and CNN host Fareed Zakaria had an interview with TSMC chair Mark Liu. The two discussed the impact that Chinese attack would have on Taiwan's economy. Let's hear what they said. Because the Chinese will never be able to take over the Taiwanese economy. The Taiwanese economy is built on this, this global collaboration, on trust, on openness. On, they'll find they've taken over nothing if they, if they come in. Probably the chip is not the most important thing we should worry about because this invasion, uh, if come after the, is the destruction of the world rule-based order. The geopolitical uh, landscape would totally change. No matter your relationship with China, Taiwan is Taiwan. You have to look at the Taiwan by itself, a vibrant society. Liu also voiced his aspirations for Taiwan's future, saying that he hoped Taiwan would not be discriminated against due to its close ties with China. He added that Taiwan is willing to continue contributing innovations to the world. He also said that there was no need to feel scared about Taiwan's disputes with its neighbor, China. A leading Taiwanese industry group, the Chinese National Federation of Industries, has released its latest annual white paper. The document features 208 suggestions from businesses for the government. They include suggestions on how to address labor shortages, inflation, and even cross-strait ties. One key component in the white paper is electricity prices. The chair of the group says another rate hike for industrial users 
could give rise to complaints. The CNFI has released its first white paper under the leadership of Matthew Miao. The paper offers 208 policy suggestions to the government. Miao says that although the economy is posting good figures, it is not yet time for Taiwan to let down its guard. Do not be misled by this. Taiwan is still an export-oriented economy. If there is a rebound, its impact will be quite heavy, not light. These past few years, supply chains have been lacking. If all of a sudden the shortage ends, there will be big problems with inventory backlogs. Back in July, the electricity rate went up 15% for large industrial users. With fuel prices on the rise and the cost of electricity generation mounting, Thai power could see more than 100 billion NT in losses. The economics ministry will meet again in September to decide whether to hike rates again. Miao says another rise could hurt Taiwan's industry. If the rates go up again, people will really complain. If Thai Power and CPC don't make any price adjustments, they might have to shut down this year. Merely changing the rates won't solve the problem. They should let us see what is going on behind the scenes. Raising the rates would of course cause huge harm to Taiwan's industry. The industry group says Taiwan should strengthen the resilience of its power grid and to enact legislation to require a reserve margin of at least 20 percent. According to the group chair, Taiwan industry leaders are not just concerned about how international incidents such as Russia's invasion of Ukraine have affected fuel prices. They also have their eyes on the tensions between Taiwan, the U.S. and China. They say a Taiwan visit by U.S. House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi could have repercussions on cross-strait tensions. We think that Pelosi is standing on our side, but this could be a very sensitive time for a visit. Will it be beneficial or harmful to Taiwan? If they want to express their friendship with Taiwan, they should do so regularly. It's fine if they want to keep their strategic ambiguity. We have very solid communication channels. The white paper lists out five major challenges for Taiwan. Industrial imbalance, demographic crisis, inflation and supply chains, geopolitics and energy. Industry leaders call on the government to improve Taiwan's business environment so that the economy can grow to new heights. August 1st is Indigenous Peoples Day in Taiwan. The day marks the anniversary of the Taiwan government changing its language to refer to Taiwan's original inhabitants as Yuanzuming or Indigenous People. To celebrate the day, the Council of Indigenous Peoples and the National Human Rights Commission on Monday held a forum on the matter. The event was attended by President Tsai Ing-wen and Premier Susan Tang, who vowed to ensure the rights of Taiwan's indigenous peoples. It's time to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day, which in Taiwan is on August 1st. President Tsai Ing-wen attended a forum held to commemorate the occasion and show her respects to Taiwan's indigenous peoples. It's the seventh time that she attends such an event. Every year we look forward to August 1st. It's not just a day for Taiwan's indigenous people. The Indigenous Peoples Day is for all Taiwanese. 
In 2016, the budget assigned to the Council of Indigenous Peoples was just over 7 billion NT. Now it's more than 12.4 billion NT. It shows the goodwill of the government. Tsai and Su called for protecting the rights of Taiwan's indigenous people. The road to the present situation has been a long one. In 1984, the Aboriginal Rights Association demanded that the government stop referring to Taiwan's indigenous people as Shanbao, meaning mountain compatriots, and replace the term with Yuan Juming, meaning indigenous inhabitants. After 10 years of fighting for the change, in 1994, the National Assembly approved a change for the constitution, which took effect in 1997, making Yuan Zhu, meaning indigenous peoples, the official term. In 2005, then-President Chen Shui-bian declared the day of the change, August 1st, Indigenous Peoples Day. Since taking office in 2016, Tsai has also taken action to show her respect for Taiwan's indigenous population. Over the past six years, there have been many new laws and amendments. They include five important acts, including the Indigenous Language Development Act and the Education Act for Indigenous Peoples. Then there is also compensation for prohibiting logging in indigenous reservations, with a budget of 2.1 billion NT every year and benefiting more than 42,000 people. There has been huge progress on the front of ensuring the rights of indigenous people. The Council of Indigenous Peoples Minister listed out the measures that the government had adopted to protect the rights of Taiwan's indigenous inhabitants. He said that, through substantive action, the government was trying to seek justice for the original owners of the land. Repair work is a highly skilled industry. Repairing fishing boats is a very specialized skill, keeping Taiwan's fishing industry running. But the profession is in crisis, as master repairmen retire with no one to follow in their footsteps. Today, we take a trip to Yong'an Harbor in Taoyuan, where just six repairmen care for 450 boats. This repairman has arm protectors and gloves pulled over his wrists. He's working hard with a sander, dust flying into the air. You need experience. You have to get it right the first time. That's what they call trustworthiness. If there are boats in the harbor, people will always be coming to the experts for repairs. Master repairman Guo Changtian is 70 years old. He's spent most of his life down here at the harbor repairing and inspecting fishing boats. When the fishing season takes a pause in late June, fishermen rush to get their boats looked at. But as the master repairmen retire, there are few young people entering the profession. This is a tough job and the shortage of experts is brewing. It gives me a sense of achievement. Of course, I feel very happy when I do it well. Repairing this boat is Mr. Fan, 40 years old. He's a youngster in this profession. He has another career too and just comes here for the busy season. There are 450 boats at moor at Yong'an Fishing Harbor in Taoyuan, but only five or six master boat repairmen. Boatmasters were already booking their services in advance a month ago, but there are still lots of boats waiting around to be seen. Making matters worse is that one of the two repair decks at the harbor has broken, and only one deck is in service. There's just the one deck here at the harbor. All the repairs are done here on the deck, of course. You have to get professionals to manage the repairs, like the way he's sanding it. The dust flies up and irritates your skin. It's not something just anybody can do. With safety at sea on the line, the city government already moved to get a new deck built last year. They hope a new deck will minimize the time boats spend waiting for attention. But the shortage of people entering the industry is a much more intractable problem. Creative government intervention may be needed. The coach industry has had a tough pandemic. Many coach drivers are out of work as the domestic tourism industry struggles. We spent a day with coach company owner Zheng Guozhi to find out how he's adapted 
to the crisis. He's taken up truck driving to avoid firing staff. Though his employees are grateful, he says that COVID's impact on his colleagues is tragic. In 2000, Zheng Guozhi took up coach driving. Now, the 46-year-old has been doing it for 22 years. The business was booming when he began, and he could earn 200,000 NT or more every month. He started his own coach company in his 20s. In the first few years when I was really earning money, I was doing airlines, carrying flight attendants, and sometimes doing coach tours at weekends. I could earn 3,000 NT in one month. Before setting off, Zheng checks his tires, fuel tank, and engine. After finishing a trip, he cleans the seats, tidies the curtains and seat belts, disinfects everything, and calls it a day. He's still as meticulous as when he began. But the pandemic wreaked havoc in domestic tourism as everyone stayed at home. Zheng's coaches sat idle. Students were off school too. All we had left was factory workers going to work. One factory commute is no more than 2,000 NT. You could just do two trips a day. You've got less than 3,000 NT a day to pay the driver. It's nowhere near enough. The fuel costs money. You have to pay for your vehicle license, fuel tax, insurance. You pay all of them even if you don't put the coach on the road. Zheng says just his loan repayments are 300,000 NT a month before any other costs of running the business. With vehicle maintenance, fuel, and eight salaries to pay, Zheng has lost a lot of sleep. He couldn't pay it all off, even if he liquidated his assets. But not to be defeated, Zheng watched online videos to prepare and pass the test to become a big rig driver. Now he drives aggregate trucks and concrete mixes, heading to the construction site each day. His top side job allows him to keep his employees on the payroll. I think it's really tragic. When I go to the construction site, I see people and think, how come he's here? I meet friends and acquaintances there, people I study with, we're also in the coach industry. Now they're driving aggregate trucks because of the pandemic. Everyone needs to make a living. Driving trucks is hard work, but the construction industry needs workers. Lots of out-of-work drivers are taking on temporary work in construction, making sites like this a veritable coach driver's reunion party. If they take on enough work, they can earn at least 50,000 NT a month. Many, like Zheng, are getting behind the wheel.